Thank you. Welcome to Radiant 17. I'm going to start with an encounter. I was in church um, a few years ago. I was on a Monday night in a worship group. And um, the Lord started talking to me about altars. An altar is something that you build unto the Lord and you offer offerings unto it. Uh, a place where you pray and seek the Lord. An altar is a uh, is a place is is a is a landing strip for uh, Yahweh or for for the for the for the heavenly things or it is a landing strip for the demonic. An altar is is what we build to 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 sacrifice or to honor the Lord. That's what they did in the times of old. And so we don't build altars per se like they did, but we have altars in our home. We have our secret place. That is what is an altar that is built in our homes where you have designated a closet or you've designated a room unto the Lord. And that is a place where you go to meet God or whether it's a, a, a secret space, a sacred space that you go off into the woods. I knew a friend who had a, a special place that had a bench that God led him to and God would meet him there and that was his altar. You are also a mobile altar because you are that living sacrifice. You are that brazen altar that burns before the Lord, but you are that altar. That, that is constantly being offered unto the Lord. You're constantly offering offerings. The Bible says that the Levitical priest would offer offerings in the morning and the in the evening, the morning, the, the noon, and the evening. They would continuously offer up offerings unto the Lord. Your life is to, to be a fragrance that is a sweet smell and savor unto the Most High God. And so they would build an altar unto God. And it was their way of saying, you are God and we stand in, in accordance to what you said. We, we, we embrace what you are saying. We say yes to what you're saying. And so every time a covenant was established by the Lord um, with man, man would build an altar. We see that in Genesis as the Lord, uh, real quick, as the Lord was speaking to Abraham, we find in the very first place, in the Bible, where there was an altar built unto the Lord. Um, actually, to be honest with you, a little bit even more, there was an altar that, a that Abel and Cain have. So they were the first altars unto the Lord, Cain and Abel. They built an altar, and that's where we find the story where Abel was accepted by the Lord, and Cain was not accepted by the Lord and, and be because he offered the wrong thing on the altar. And uh, the Lord, uh, you know the story, he, he killed his brother. But Abraham... This is where God, I like to use Abraham because it was Abraham was the one that modeled building an altar. He, every place he went, he would always erect an altar under God. He would always build uh, this landing strip. He would always build something. And as we understand, an altar is a doorway. It's a portal. It's a landing strip for the most high or for the demonic. And so every place where he would sojourn, he would make sure before he did anything else, after he set up his tent, he would build an altar unto God because it was something about welcoming God into the land. It was something about welcoming God into your, your everyday. It was something about having that connection with the Most High that I can come and bring my offerings. I can come and talk to him. I can He can come and talk to me. At any time, God has such a relationship with Abraham that he didn't need an invitation. He had an already open invitation because there was an altar there. When you establish an altar there, it is an open door for God to come 
when he wants to at any time. You could have that way in your heart. Your heart could be open to the input of the Holy Spirit constantly speaking. Sometimes people say, well, it's hard for me to hear the Holy Spirit. I can't hear him. Maybe you don't have an open, an open, um, an open door for him to come through. Maybe you haven't opened that up. Some people will invite God in when they want God's input in. And, and when they don't want his input in, they will shut his input down. And no, that determines the, the different parts of your heart. The different parts of your heart may be surrendered under the Lord. And this part over here is not surrender. It's kind of heartened before the Lord. And that's the area that God is knocking at. That's the area that God wants. But that's also the area where you are hard of hearing. And you can't hear the Lord as good because that area needs to be surrendered. And until it is surrendered, you will struggle hearing in that area from God because you're, you have, you've closed off access to God except uh, the God of this world. Anything that appeals to the realm of man, you are open to, but we have to open our hearts unto the Lord. We have to give him access to us. That's why Jesus said, I stand knocking at the door of your heart. That is the altar of man. Man's heart is his altar where he offers up prayers. He offers up his thoughts. He offers up his life unto God. And God sees the, uh, the heart. He's not looking at your actions. He cares nothing about your, your actions. What he's looking at is the heart. The heart tells the true story because people can give God lip service. You can do things and really don't mean it from here. And God is always staring at the heart because that is what we are going to be judged by when we stand before him. Amen. And so Abraham, the Bible says this here, that uh, after Abraham, after God calls upon Abraham and he makes a covenant with him, the Bible says that, uh, says it here, it says that now in Genesis chapter 12, it says, now the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, come, uh, come from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a place that I will show thee. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless those that bless thee. I will curse those that curse thee. And when Abraham heard God speak to him and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is my covenant that I'm establishing with you. And verse seven of chapter 12 of Genesis, he says here, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and Abram said, and he said, and he said unto thy seed, I will give this land. And there built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So Abram made it a point. Every time God would appear, he would build an altar unto the God. If he moved to another place, he would build an altar. He always had contact with the Lord. There was always this contact he opened his heart to, to hear God in his every day. Are you, at, are you allowing God to have such an access in you? Are you allowing his wisdom to speak into your life? Are you allowing his, his words of knowledge to speak into your life? Is his insight, does it have an open door? Or, do you, or are you selective when it comes to the things of God? Are you selective as to when you will allow God to speak? Because sometimes God, here's the thing about the Lord. God loves us and loves us dear and dear and through and through. And he does not speak that which appeals to the flesh. There are things that God is going to say to you and speak into your life that does not appeal to your flesh. Your flesh 
is at enmity with God. It does not want to serve God. It does not like the things that God says because your flesh wants to serve itself. It wants to be satisfied continuously and it doesn't care how it's satisfied. That's what it's after. It's after being satisfied. And when God speaks, sometimes if that area of our life is not yielded to the Lord and we're not ready to hear from him, what he is saying is going to rub us the wrong way. It is not going to appeal to us. We are going to shut that off. We don't want to hear that because we want to hear in that area of your life, the things that appeal to us. And that's why there is this surrendering unto the Lord. There's this constant dying in daily. Paul said, Jesus died once that you and I could die daily. That's why you're this living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. You're this dying you're this living sacrifice that's constantly dying so that more life will come forth so that more life the more life of who of christ jesus would be realized the bible says he that he foreknew and had knowledge of he what he conformed he for he ordained for you to be conformed to the image of his son so as you are offering and yielding yourself unto the lord more of the life of christ jesus is being revealed in you more of god is being made known in you when you read your word the word is not only cleaning you but it's revealing christ the hope of glory in you and so that is what an altar is and so that's what men do men built altars under god and it was a way but them who serve the devil, them that serve the other the other side, they built altars under the demonic spirits. And we find in, in the Bible as we read that different kings that were against Israel would, would offer up their son. This one king wanted to beat Israel so bad, he offered up his son unto the god Moloch. Moloch is the god, the god of, 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 uh, of, of, of child sacrifice. Uh, where children are offered up unto this god Moloch, and and he offered up his his child unto Moloch to invoke his power to give them victory. He won. He beat Israel. Why? Because it was a, it was a matter of faith. I'm going to tell you. My friends, don't be casual about the Lord. Don't be casual about your walk with the Lord. Be sold out. Be, be believing. Be convinced about who God is. Because the enemy and them that are on that side, whether they're serving witchcraft or Satanists or warlocks or wizards, whatever they're doing, they are convinced that they are right. And, they're, and they are convinced and they are empowered to do the nasty stuff that they want to do but they're not greater than what's living and breathing in you. Because Jesus said, greater is he that is in you than he, than anything that you'll face in the world. He defeated everything. He put everything. The enemy is a defeated foe. But if you don't believe in that, if you're not confident, if you're not, uh, if, you're, if your confidence is not concrete, in the things of what God has done or who what God says he has done or who he is in you, the enemy can win. And that's what happened. That king, because he really believed that if I offer my son that this God, this, this, this demonic God is going to help me, is going to empower my troops to beat Israel. And it did because Israel was in a space of being very casual. They were very lukewarm. They were very ins and out with, with, with the Most High. And because they were in this lukewarm space, 
somebody of faith on the other side, the negative side, it came in and beat them. That shouldn't have been. But that's the only time something like that can happen is when the child of God does not believe. Because if you don't believe, or better yet, I should say it this way, your faith should ascend past the level of demonic faith. There is demonic faith. What is demonic faith? The demons believe in God, but what? They don't obey him. And so if your faith and your belief in God does not transcend that of the demons, you will be rendered inactive. You'll be re rendered irrelevant. The enemy will look at you and say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? I have no clue who you are. You have made no impact. Your faith has not impacted the spirit realm. We have no knowledge of who you are. You don't even matter is how they'll treat you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is serious. This is not a game. And it's high time that for us as believers not to treat the things of God like this passing thing, like it's a club that we're a part of. It's an, an exclusive club that we get to be special and elitist. No, it is, it is far from that. There are a lot more going on than you and I see on a daily basis. And you need to take your walk with the Lord serious because the enemy does not like you and does not care whether you've been saved a hundred years or whether you just got saved a few minutes ago. He hates you because you said yes to the Lord. You carry and have something he wants and it, and everybody is fair game. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't treat, don't be casual. Don't be lazadaisical. Don't be slowful about your walk with the Lord. Don't make time for all these other things, but you have no time for God. And you'll say, well, God understands. It's, you know, the grace does it all. No, grace doesn't do anything. I'll say, I'll say it like this. Grace of God is not your butler or not your maid. It is not here to wait on you. It's not here to serve you. The grace of God is here to enable you. It empowers you to do what you couldn't do in your own strength. With the grace of God, now you can do it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The grace of God is also the favor of God that opens doors, that moves on your behalf as you step and move. But it is not your servant and not your maid. It does not take orders from you. It is not waiting for you to give it to give its orders to you because that's not how things work. Because the grace of God is who God is. Do you really think God is a servant or a butler to you? Not, no, not at all. He's our Lord and our Savior. He's, he's the one, he's the, he's, he's the king of all kings, he's the Lord of all lords. He's the one teaching us. He's the good shepherd that leads us down the, good, down the, right, the path of righteousness for his namesake. This is who he is. And so if we don't believe in who he is, it's going to be impossible for you to walk with him. It's going to be impossible for you to access what he has in store for us, what he has laid up for you, what he has already won for you. It's going to be impossible for you to have those things. And so we cannot be casual. We have to dig in and go after what God has won. Take what he has done and allow it to have its way, its move, its free course in us. 
It empowers us to take the land. It empowers us to be on the offense. It empowers us to go into areas that is shut off to us, but because of who we are and whose we are and who is in us, that which is shut off won't be shut off because he said, I I will make a way in the wilderness, in a river, in the desert. I will make doors that I'll open doors that no man can close. That's who I am. The question is, do you believe that? And all you got to do is believe just a little bit. If you just got a little bit of faith to believe that God can, that's enough to do anything. God will take the little bit and turn it into something big. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we're talking about altars tonight the altar and tonight and as I was in this encounter with the Lord and the Lord is talking to me about altars and and I just and and sharing with me about an altar then he says to me you are a brazen altar that brazen altar was one of the things that was in the tabernacle in the wilderness as they moved from place to place they would set up the tabernacle and the brazen altar was a place where they would burn the uh the oxen they would burn the lamb that was without spot wrinkle or blemish they would burn that unto the lord and the smoke the say the, the sweet smelling savor of what they burned if it was approved by god would go up into his nostrils like perfume it would smell good unto the lord here's the interesting thing about the brazen altar man did not like the brazen altar the fire of god lit the brazen altar and if you offered strange fire, if you lit that brazen altar by man by man-made things, you were worthy of death. That's how sacred that brazen altar are. That's how sacred you are to the Lord. It is a picture of what, Je what Jesus told the woman at the well. He tells her, he says, he says, you must worship the Lord in what? Spirit and in truth. It takes the spirit of God to worship God. Because no man who is in the flesh will call Jesus Lord. No man in the flesh will say that Jesus walked the earth in flesh. It takes the spirit of God to give you that revelation in order for you to do that. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So no one without the spirit of the Lord will call Jesus Lord. So what does that say? That fire from heaven needs to reside in you, which is the Holy Spirit. John said, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming after me who I am not worthy to unlatch his sandals. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and what? Fire. Because why? Our God in heaven is a consuming fire. He is a burning one. And he what? wants to fill his children so that they are burning ones on the earth. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from who? The father of lights. So if he's the father of lights and you are the children of light, because light is another form of fire. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so he again is, uh, he again alights that brazen altar. He sets it ablaze and it is their job to fan the flames to keep that fire burning. Does that sound familiar? When you receive, when you have an encounter with the Lord and you have those hot coals from the from the altar in the temple that was made with no hands in heaven be given to you, where you have this fiery counter, the, the, the job that you have after you receive is to sustain what has been given to you by the word. The word of God sustains any encounter. 
It instays, it sustains any deliverance. It sustains any any healing. Anything that you get supernaturally from God, the word of God sustains it. It sustains it. It gives it life. It causes it to breathe in your life. And your job is to fan that flame. How do you fan the flame? As you receive something from God, you stay seeking him in prayer and sometimes fasting. Reading your word fans that flame of those hot coals. And it causes those coals to burn, burn, burn as you what? Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. And so in this encounter I had with the Lord... He's talking to me about that. And he's talking to me about all those things. And I can just feel the fire of the Lord. I can feel the presence of the Lord. I'm just overwhelmed with this presence of the Lord. Then all of a sudden I can feel somebody like an angel, a burning one. Can't see him, but he's on fire because I can feel the heat coming off of him. So much so that it was, I was sweating, like really sweating. And, I, and I, I've never prayed this way. This was, uh, this was maybe about five or six years ago. I've never prayed this way, but this is how sometimes revelation just comes right out of your mouth. Because the one who is revelation lives and breathes in you. It is the Holy Spirit. He is a revealer. He is, he is the all-knowing. He is God. He is the third part of the Godhead. He is God. And he knows what you need to say, what you need to speak in that moment. Jesus says, tells them, take no thought for what you'll say, because in that moment, I will give you the right words, or the Holy Spirit will speak to you the right things you should say. In that moment, I'm, I'm encountering the Lord, and I said, Lord, on this brazen altar, allow the obedience of Christ Jesus to rest, to be, to be laid upon this altar to be burned. Because it was interesting that in myself, I knew that the only thing that I could offer up unto God that he would approve of would be something that Jesus has already done. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so his obedience, that's what it means when they say, do it for Abraham's sake, do it for this person's sake, because this person has walked with God in such a way that they become this friend of God that you could say, Lord, if you could just do it for Abraham's sake, the Lord would move and do it because he would remember Abraham's faithfulness. He would remember David's faithfulness. He would remember uh, uh, faithful, the faithfulness of Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate one. He is the ultimate one that we could say, do it for his sake. That's why he tells the apostles or the disciples who later became apostles in John 14, he tells them, he says, you have not prayed. You have not asked the Father for anything in my name, but I'm now telling you, go ahead, ask the Father in my name, and he will do it because he loves to what? Glorify his son. He wants to glorify his son. He will receive his son because his son did something. His son was a model for us, and we're going to get into that as we as we progress along. And so when I place that, when I ask that the obedience of Christ to be laid upon my heart, I felt fire in different times. That fire that I felt burning. I mean, I was my clothes was drenched like wet. And I remember driving home in this encounter. I'm driving, I'm in this encounter, and the air condition is on, and I can't even feel the air condition blowing at full blast because the fire of the Lord was resting, or that obedience of Christ was burning, burning so prolifically 
so 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 uh so contagiously that that the lord that the, that that it that it just consumed it is filled the van that i was driving in that time it it, it caused the air condition not to be it caused it to be irrelevant because of this encounter but i never prayed that way and i remember just going back thinking about that why would i ask for the obedience of christ because why he was obedient unto death. The Bible says that he he embraced the joy that is set before him, and he what? He conquered. He didn't waver, and he didn't do it as a superhero. He didn't do it as a supernatural being. He did it as a son of man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the model of what you and I are to be today. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He was an altar unto God. He was, a, he was a living sacrifice unto the Lord. He was the lamb that was slain, that was going to be slain for us once and for all, that we can die daily to the things of this world, that we could break our conformity, that we could break our allegiance, our covenant, our treaties with the things of this world, and we can truly, truly be transformed by the renewing of our minds into, into the things of God. We can truly walk as he walked. We can truly do as he did. We can walk in holy union as he is calling us to do. And as the Lord did that, I, I, was, I, was, I was wrecked for some time because I'd never, I, I was like, wow, I'm a brazen altar and the Lord in the obedience of Christ. Why am I talking about that tonight? Because our thought tonight, as God was speaking to me, he spoke to me and he gave me a passage of scripture. And I, and I, and I know this is from the Lord because it took me a minute to kind of, to kind of see, because I was seeing all the other things. And sometimes in God, you see these different pieces and you're like, oh, that's good. And that's good to talk about. And this is good to talk about. But then there was this root. There was this, there was this central thing that everything else streamed from. And I was like, and then when all of a sudden, when I saw it, I said, oh man, Lord. These are all sub things, but this is the initial things. This is the initial thing. And sometimes when you're doing deliverance or dealing, you're dealing with sub things. Sometimes you, you hit those sub things and the person gets a temporary relief. You need to hit the central thing, the thing, the stronghold, the thing that causes all the sub things to be there because it's almost like if you hit that central thing, all the other things fall. Because they're all allowed. They're all the fruit of this initial thing. Just like the woman at the, just like the woman who's in adultery. When at, when the religious people were throwing stone, wanted to throw stones at her for the fruit of what she was doing. Adultery is fruit. Fruit of what? It's a fruit of a sin nature. Jesus realized when everybody got convicted and walked away, he turned and said to her. Where are your accusers? There, uh, there's none, Lord. He said, neither do I. He said, but what? Go, you're free from sin, go and sin no more. He understood and knew her problem was not the adultery. Her problem was not the bad decision making. It was this sin nature she was a servant to. And because she was a slave to sin, it was going to inevitably, Captain obviously, give, she was gonna make bad decisions which was going to lead to her doing adultery, murdering, killing, witchcraft, you name it. She was gonna do any of those things because why? 
There was a sin nature that needed to be dealt with. So Jesus says to her, he says, you are forgiven. You are free from sin. Go and sin no more. And this is before he died on the cross. And so whatever God declares in decree, it is so here on earth as it is in heaven. That woman walked away free and no longer did she make bad decisions anymore. No longer was she a slave to bad decisions or a slave to these things or a slave to sin. Sin's power was broken by the anointed one because the Bible says it is the anointed one that destroys the yoke and set the captive free. And the anointed one, before he went to the cross to shed any ounce of blood, he spoke, he released the anointing to break the stronghold of sin, giving us a picture of what we all were going to experience. And so it was not going after the fruit of the thing, but it was going after the actual tree. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The actual tree needed to be uprooted and, and thrown away so that this woman could walk away and, and the true trees of life, good fruit could come forth and she could now be a recipient of good, uh, good decisions and good fruit, fruits of the spirit like love and peace and joy and, and temperance and goodness and meekness. She could operate in the good fruits of the spirit now because she is no longer a slave to sin. And so Jesus doesn't waste his time hitting the, 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 the fruit. He's after the tree. He's wanting to uproot the tree because the tree, even if you cut it off, it still has the stumps and the roots are still there. Some of you have got trees that have been cut off and you got the stump that is there and that stump needs to be pulled up because it has roots into your soul and it still has a hand into your life and you're wondering why certain things are still lingering and hanging out and, and being with you is because it hasn't been totally uprooted. Because when you uproot a thing, there is nothing left of that thing. And now what? You can place something in there. You can plant something brand new in there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so Jesus dealt with those things. And so when we are dealing with, when we go back to what an altar is, an altar is a, is a, is a doorway, is a landing strip. It is a, it's the central thing that can turn a land into 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 total darkness or it could turn the land into light it could bring blessing it could bring curse it could it could bring death it could bring life depending on who that altar is erected to are you hearing what i'm saying and so as we look at what is going on in our today and our current events in our state in our city in our nation and around the world we this here is the thing that has got in the way and and all the other sub things are the fruit of this thing here can we get into let's go into scripture let's dig into scripture amen i hope you're tracking with me hope you're tracking with me let's turn turn with me over to uh first kings first kings chapter 13 and it reads, and it says this, Behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by, uh, by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. Bethel is a place where it was established by Jacob who encountered the Lord and, and, didn't, and saw the stairway into heaven or the ladder into heaven, the angels ascending and descending. That is Bethel. That is the same place that, that was uh, named by Jacob because Bethel means a place of God. 
That's what it means. And so Jeroboam is now the king over Israel. And we'll give you some backstory as we go. Uh, and stood by this altar to burn incense. So King Jeroboam, who was the king over the 10 tribes of Israel, at this point, Israel and Judah, the, the, the tribe of Israel was split. 10 were Israel. The other two was Judah and, and um, Benjamin. And so because of sin, and we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about that. And so Jeroboam is the king over the 10 tribes. And he is standing next to an altar burning incense. You can tell this is not good. And he cried, and the man of God cried unto the altar and spoke the word of the Lord and said, Altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David. His name is Josiah. And upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense unto thee. Men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. He gave a sign that same day, saying that this sign shall be a sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent or split in half, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. Now I'm going to go back a couple pages to Solomon. David, Solomon was David's successor. David, when David became king, the Bible says that the, the word of the Lord came through Samuel and said, David, you are going to be anointed king over Israel. That means all 12 tribes. And so eventually that word came to life and David became king over, um, over Israel. He did, he ruled for 40 years and, and he made a, made a couple mistakes, but he through, through and through was a man after God's own heart. He walked it right before the Lord. And so his son, Solomon, was the one that took over for him. And Solomon ruled for 40 years. But Solomon started out right, but ended bad. He finished bad. The Bible says that Solomon, in his youth, understood that the, the, the allotment, the, 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 the job that was given to him was greater than him. And so he um, asked God that you would give me wisdom and understanding. And the Lord gave him wisdom and understanding above everybody that ever was. And, be, and after, the only person that trumps him is Jesus. But Solomon had that level of wisdom. And, and we, therefore, we got the book of Proverbs. We got Ecclesiastes. We got the song of Solomon. Solomon wrote in such a way he had that God-type wisdom. But a God-type wisdom in a human being caused him to be lifted up. And caused him to be lifted up that he felt like he knew what was best. And instead of trusting God, Solomon began to marry uh, other uh, nations, um, uh, princesses, so that what? The nations wouldn't fight against him. Um, he, he did things that way. He, what, but God told him, this is a time of peace. You won't have to do anything. No one will fight you. In this time, this will be a time of peace. Because why? His David father, his David, King David, was the one that did all the fighting prior to. So he prepared this time of peace where there'll be a peace and this time of peace represents something that jesus is going to bring when he comes and so solomon gets lifted up and starts marrying different women they start he starts worshiping other gods he turns his heart toward away from god under these other gods he starts building temples and building uh stuff under these other gods these gods of uh, gods of lust, these gods of um, perversion. He started building these things unto the Lord because these women who he married or had concubines led his heart astray. 
it's it's a it's a problem when we get lifted up it's when we get lifted up great is the fall for you when we get lifted up and we think that our that we know better than god you'll find out you really don't know anything but here's the sad part what solomon did he didn't do in the, he didn't do in the corner he didn't do in the secrecy of his home he did it before public eyes can i tell you friends your life is seen by others you are a living open epistle read by men people get to see who our god is as they look at you people get to witness who god is as they look at your life and so people so what solomon did he did in front of everybody even his children who was the next generation we today are really fighting to contend for gen z and even gen alpha we are contending for them but we have to understand and, and know that the generations before did not do the things that were right. And what's happening in our today is a result of what was allowed. It, it is a result of things being casual. It is a result of us being lazadaisical. It is us fighting amongst ourselves. Whatever those reasons are, generation, uh, the millennials, um, Gen X, the, uh, the, the Gen Z, the generations today are contending and fighting with things that should have been dealt with way back when. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What we're dealing with today is a fruit of what shouldn't have happened. And because we didn't do these things, these are the things that we are reaping today and having to fight. But we are the generation of them that seek the Lord. We are the generation that are going to turn this back around unto our God. This is not going to be our story. This is not going to be where we end, where we, we just lay down and die. We're going to be ones like Josiah. We're going to get into who Josiah is. Josiah was a one that turned the hearts of people back unto God. And so this is what David, so, so Solomon does this all before his children. And then the Lord tells him this in, um, in 1 Kings chapter 12, chapter 11, he tells him, because of what you did, because of how you disobeyed, because you did not listen to my commandments. In verse 10, it says, I have commanded him concerning these things that he should not go after other gods, but you kept not this before the Lord. He did not keep that he went after other gods wherefore the lord says unto solomon for as much as this is done unto thee thou hast kept not my commandments nor my statute which i have commanded thee this day i will surely rip the kingdom from thee and i will give it unto your servant what did he mean by that the kingdom was 12 tribes together he was king over he was king over israel and because he was king over israel because that was a fulfillment what god spoke over his his um his dad David, but being king over Israel was a picture of Jesus, was a picture of, of the Messiah to come because he is the king of all kings. And we are little kings. We are, we are kings and priests. We're kingly priests. We're a delegation of priests. And it's one God over, over, over the whole nation. And so this was this picture of, of Israel uh, being one, being a whole. But because he sinned, because he disobeyed God, the kingdom was rent. But because God loved David, this is what the Lord says here. He says here in verse 13, he says, How be it, I will not rent away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to my son, to thy son, for David, my servant's sake. 
David loved God. Do you see what I'm saying? David walked in such a way with the Lord that even God, David being gone, still remembers what he did on the earth for the Lord. And because of his sake, because of the promise he made for him, he says, I will not take it all away. I will not take it all away. I will leave one. Why? Because there is a word that, 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 the, that the, the chosen one, that the anointed one is coming through the tribe of Judah. It is the line of the tribe of Judah. And so if he took it all away, he would no longer be a descendant of David. He would no longer be considered the son of David. David was the part of the line which Jesus would come from. And so he allows one tribe to stay, but the others were moved away. And his servant, whom he had given it to, was one of his people that were influenced by the things he had done. We all in some way have been influenced by what we have seen, what we have witnessed, and what you have witnessed becomes a part of you. That's why when you got saved, you needed to be delivered. You are being, you, you were saved and being saved as you walk this thing out. This is what sanctification is about. Sanctification is getting rid of the things that you were witness to. You witness all the bad stuff. You witness all the stuff that you shouldn't have witnessed. And then not only that, you inherited things from your bloodline. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And these things that you can stand up as a believer, stand in the gap for your people and say, uh-uh, not today. This ends here. So because of that, Jeroboam is the one who is standing next to the altar that's offering up offerings that this young prophet comes and declares the word of the Lord. Rehoboam is Solomon's son, who is the king over Judah, but what? Because his dad was a bad example and did not finish strong, both Jeroboam, who was a servant, who was in a low estate, they got lifted up as king, and Rehoboam, Solomon's son, both finished, they, they didn't even walk in the ways of David. The Bible says, and when you read the scriptures, when you read different kings in the books of Kings and the book of Chronicles, you'll see, they'll say that this king walked in the ways of David, or this king walked bad before the sight of God. And we know that David walked before, walked good before God. Well, those two kings walked evil before God because of what was witnessed. But let me tell you, friends, what was established when Solomon disobeyed the Lord, when the Lord issued out the punishment and told him, because you did not you ran after other gods. You did not listen to my commandments, my statue. An altar of disobedience was established in the land. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Because of what he did, an altar of disobedience was established in the land. Because he chose to worship other gods. That's a commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before God. Thou shalt not grave, uh, graven images of anybody in the heavens, in the earth, or below. He broke everything. And so this altar of disobedience brought about the wrath of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're going to tie this into everything. So he establishes an altar of disobedience before the Lord. The Bible says in um, in Psalm, in uh, first, uh, first Samuel chapter 15, when King Saul was king and disobeyed the Lord, Creating a what? An altar of disobedience. He disobeys the Lord because the Lord told him to obliterate everything. Kill everything, get rid of it, do not leave it. He did what he wanted to do. This is what is said in 1 Samuel 15, 22. It says this, and Samuel says unto, uh, says unto Saul, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings 
and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, obedience is better than sacrifice, and to hearken then to the fat of the ram. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry, because thou has rejected the word of the Lord, or you could say thou has disobeyed the word of the Lord, God has rejected you. And because he disobeyed God's commandment, rebellion is now a fruit that's going to manifest. Witchcraft, stubbornness, iniquity, idolatry, all those are fruits of his initial disobedience. And he tells him, he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Some of you can offer up, some of you have done somebody wrong or got mad with somebody and you want to bring your tithes and your offerings unto the Lord. Can I submit to you, friend, the Bible says, leave your offering at the altar and go make it right. Because to obey God is to not have something against that person, is to let that go. But some people think, oh, it's okay. God understands my heart. He He understands. And, and, and no, 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 no. He understands your heart. You are correct. He understands you need a savior. He understands your heart is desperately wicked. And you can't give allowance for sin because here's the thing. If I offer unto the Lord my offering unto him, but I'm in disobedience in that area, that disobedience impedes on that it hinders that it hinders different areas there's an altar of disobedience and disobedience brings about rebellion it brings about witchcraft it brings about idolatry it brings about several things that we deal with in our everyday and so solomon establishes this altar of disobedience and this disobedience now is moved upon the boys the boys the jeroboam and rehoboam are moving israel away from god Jeroboam, what does he decide to do? Jeroboam decides that because he is mad with, with Rehoboam, and he's, or he fears Rehoboam, the Bible says, he fears that if they continue to go to Jerusalem, because that was where they were established to bring their offerings into Jerusalem, a temple in Jerusalem, he says if the people go there, they will find their allegiance under Rehoboam, and they'll leave me and they'll kill me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create two places for them to go, and I'm going to establish what? a golden calf in each one. I'm going to read this to you. And, and this is in 1 Kings chapter 12. And it says here that Jeroboam built two golden calves. He put one in Dan and he put one in, um, in another place. And it goes on and says here in verse 28, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold, Thy God, O Israel, which has brought thee out of Egypt. We both know no golden calf brought Israel out of Egypt. We know that Yahweh, the great I am, the most high, the, the Lord, the, the captain of angel armies, he's the one with his mighty right hand that brought Israel out. But because there is an altar of disobedience established by the present, the pre, the preceding generation, and has not been dealt with. Everybody is in error. Everybody's in error. The, his son is in error, and this other king is in error. And he's saying, "Now, we're going to erect these golden calves, and it's the golden calf that brought you out. That's a lion spirit, misleading the people." But here's the funny thing: 
When you, when you open, when you establish an altar of disobedience, you erect these old ancestral spirits that come back. That same spirit was the same thing that they said during the time of Exodus. When they built the golden calf and Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments and, and, and Dayton and, uh, and, uh, and, and his other guys were with him telling them, let's make a golden calf and let us take this golden calf back and let it lead us back into Egypt. Well, the golden calf was one of the gods that they worship in Egypt, in the world. Do you got friends around you that want to pull you back into the things of the world that want to direct you back to the things of this or saying this is the thing that got you free this is the thing that 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 opened the door for you can i submit to you friends the only thing that has got that that brought life and that more abundant to you his name is jesus the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy and even if he comes as an angel of light he is his agenda is still to kill steal and destroy but he's got to convince you to take the blue pill or the red pill as they say in the movie matrix you got to take one of those pills one will lead you back to the normal life and you know nothing the other pill will will bring truth to you can i submit to you the enemy wants to give you his version of what truth is and so he laces his truth with a little truth and the rest is a lie to ensnare you and then he has you in bondage and so this altar here that was established was established by this king leading God's people away. And so the man of God, the Bible says that the Lord sent this man of God, this young prophet to speak. And notice in, in, first, in, uh, in first Kings chapter 13, he does not speak against the king. He spoke against the altar. Why would you speak against the altar? The altar is alive. The more you worship, the more you pray, the more you offer sacrifice on these altars, these altars become alive. They become open doors. They become portals. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why he spoke to it. He didn't speak to the man that was offering offerings unto it, because even if he spoke to him, because there been history, because he's been doing it, that altar is open, that doorway is open, that landing strip is ready to receive anything, either demonic or, 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 or God. So he had to shut that doorway, because if he dealt with the man, the doorway, that, that is bringing sin into the land, that's caused the land to be turned upside down, it's called the, the ground to be bad, the door needs to be shut. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So he speaks to the altar. He says, oh, altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, you shall be split and the ashes shall be poured out. He tells them and gives them a word that there'll be one that will be raised up. His name is Josiah. He will turn the people back to God. He will take all you false priests and all you high places and he will put you on that altar to be burned. Burned before the Lord. Burned before the Lord. Why? To destroy and to shut the doorway to the enemy. When we want to shut the doorway to the enemy, we have to be radical. We, you, Whatever books you got, pictures, anything that is a doorway to the enemy, we are radical. You can take it in your backyard, throw it in the grill and burn it. I've, I've, had, I've heard people burning things that were demonic, that were demonic, that were burning these things that were demonic. <clears throat> if you want a scripture reference for that, look in Acts chapter 19, where they... Um, where Paul is ministering to a bunch of people to a, a particular region and because of what he uh, Because of the gospel they took all their demonic books their witchcraft all that stuff and they burn 
the books because of the gospel coming in. And it's in Acts chapter 19, that's a spiritual, that's a good reference for you. And the altar being split, we talk about, that's in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, chapter uh, 13. And that's the altar being split. And it's actually talking here in, um, in verse 3 of chapter 13 of 1 Kings, it says, And he gave a sign saying that in that day, the Lord spoke, the altar will be rent or split and the ashes will be poured out. So he's speaking to the altar. He's shutting the doorway. He's closing the door because it isn't just this wicked man that's offering offerings or been offering offerings. It's this doorway that is open and it's been a flood of wickedness coming in, a flood of witchcraft, a flood of child prostitution, a, a, a child trafficking, a, a flood of all kind of dark and unholy things because of this altar of disobedience that has been established in the land. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Does that sound like a lot of today? Does it sound like our today? Because the re relation, because we have not been on our job. And when I mean us, I'm talking about the church. We have not been the light we should have been. And because of that, these ungodly men have opened altars of disobedience and that altar of disobedience brings the wrath of god brings all the nasty things that come with it we're going to read what the disobedience of god is it's in deuteronomy 28. we're going to read that we'll go to it now deuteronomy 28. we always look at deuteronomy 28 and we look at the first 14 the blessing we we love deuteronomy 28 because it declares the blessings of the lord um, I'm going to read a little bit of it, but you can read the rest of it. Deuteronomy 20, 28, beginning at verse uh, 15. And it's a long, long passage. Verse 15, curses, the name of this section is curses for disobeying God. Because it, it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord, to observe all that God commands you in statute, I will command this day, that all the curses shall come upon thee. Curse shall thou be in the city, curse shall be in the field, curse shall be thy baskets, curse shall be thy fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, and so on and so forth. It talks about uh, being uh, captivity and plagues. It talks about Israel being enslaved. It talks about because of that, plagues are allowed to come. You say today, well, we have Jesus. Yeah, we do. We do. We have Jesus for real. But because we have Jesus does not give you a license to sin. That's just like they're saying, there's grace. There's the grace of God. It does everything. The grace of God wants to work with you and you have to say yes and, and obey God daily. It isn't that the grace of God automatically works and, and we don't do nothing. No, 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 no. That's not the picture of grace. Grace empowers you. It is that inner part it's the inner part of the Holy Spirit that resides in the inner man, the Kretos, that gives you the ability to say no and to say yes. It gives you the ability to pull on the fruits of the Spirit. That is the, that is the pillars that hold the house, the house, the fruits of the Spirit, all that the Holy Spirit wants to unleash into your life. Without those things, you will be crushed. And so the Kretos, that inner man, that great is where the grace resides. It gives us the ability to do what we couldn't do in our own strength. But there's a message being preached that grace does it all. 
And so we can just do whatever we want to do. And these things don't apply. Yes, Jesus took on every curse and became everything that needed to be to, to redeem us. Yes, he did that. But what? Yes to him one time isn't enough. We say yes to him daily. We're dying daily. If 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 it was instant, then it wouldn't be be uh, be uh, be uh, uh, break. It says uh, therefore for this reason break your conformity to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We would need to break our conformity because we would be instantly like Christ instantly, and there would be no uh, sanctification because we're already sanctified. It would just be yes, bam, we're changed. That's not the case. We are saved and being saved. And so that's why there's this responsibility on our behalf through the ability of God, through the grace of God that gives us the ability, I'll say, to say no, to stand for righteousness, to stand for, um, for truth, to be that beacon of life that you couldn't do in your own strength. And so Deuteronomy 20, uh, 28, 15 and beyond talks about disobedience. It's talking about two altars. It's talking about an altar of obedience because we understand the ultimate worship unto God is actually obedience. It's not a song. It's not a song. I submit to you the ultimate. You can. It's not the highest spray. Not the highest phrase. Hallelujah. Those are great, but the highest form of worship unto our God is is, is obedience. Because your faith in him should cause you to obey him. Or, John, or James said it like this, faith without works is dead faith. And dead faith is that of the demonic. And demon, demons believe in God. They believe there is a God, but it does not cause them to obey. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So your faith has to have works with it, means it has to have some evidence because faith is the substance of things hoped for and what? The evidence that faith is active and moving and breathing in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So there needs to be, if you believe in him, there needs to be some evidence. There needs to be some evidence. It can't be just, I believe. So your faith should cause you to believe in God if you truly, so that people can say, you know what? Carlos really believes in God because I watch him every day live a certain way, do a certain thing and act a certain way. And it doesn't look like us. And then when he asked Carlos, man, tell me, why do you do what you do? Or why do you talk? You don't cuss like us or you don't say certain things. And Carlos will tell him because I believe in Jesus. I believe in this is Jesus, the Lord is my Lord and Savior. And because of that, they can see based on his actions before he ever declares he's a Christian, they can see it in your life. Because your actions should bring about, or your, your confession should bring about in your actions what you truly believe. And so obedience unto God is the ultimate worship unto our God. Can I submit to you, if you are in disobedience, you need to fix that. Because if you don't, disobedience brings about rebellion, which is as a spirit of witchcraft, stubbornness, idolatry. It brings about all that the kingdom of darkness wants to bring. Because why? The ultimate worship for the, for the enemy, for the demon, for the devil himself is what? It is the opposite. 
It is disobedience unto God. That is the highest form of worship you can give the enemy is by disobeying God. That is the highest form of worship unto the enemy. The enemy loves when God's children disobey. So can you imagine in the Garden of Eden when he got Eve, he fooled Eve and got Eve to, to disobey God. At that point, there was a change that happened. Not only did she die, did her and Adam die spiritually, but they were forever changed until Jesus came on the scene. Because here's the reason why. Because what you love is who you're going to obey. Your obedience shows the, the one who's in control of your life, the one whom you love. And so when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he placed that tree there and he allowed that tree to be there and he told him you can have everything else but that tree. If they loved him, if they truly loved him, they would obey him even in the face of somebody coming along trying to convince them otherwise. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And because they didn't and they succumbed to the trick of the enemy, the love that was supposed to be for God is now for him. Or better yet, it was a love for self because he told them, what did he say? He says, you won't surely die. He says, God knows in that moment you will be just like him. So they were in love with them, their own, what they wanted. They were in love with themselves. They allowed themselves to be lifted up higher than the most high. And the enemy got them. Because who you love is who you will obey. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters because you will love the one and what? Hate the other. You can only be faithful to one. You can only be faithful to one. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I hope that brings conviction. I hope it I hope it opens your eyes that I hope God reveals to you where you are in disobedience. Then you'll wonder why there is a confusion, why there is weird stuff in your life, because maybe there's an open door, there's an altar of disobedience opened, and it needs to be shut. And you as, as a representative, representative of your life and your bloodline, have the right and the, and the authority and the power by God to shut these doors. And we don't wanna just shut the doors to, 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 to witchcraft and to, and, to, and, to, and, and to pornography and lust and, and, and all these other things because all those other things are the fruit of disobedience. Because when you look at the commandments and the Lord commands you not to lust after you covet your neighbor's wife and you go and sleep with your neighbor's wife in adultery, adultery is the fruit of your disobedience against God. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? When the Lord tells you not to, not to make graven images of anything in the heavens, earth, and below, and you go and carve out an image of an idol so you can worship him, People will say, you're in idolatry. No, they're not in idolatry. Idolatry is the fruit. They're in disobedience because it is disobedience that gave light to the idolatry. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
So you could hit idolatry all day long and that altar of disobedience is still there. You need to shut that disobedience by saying, Lord, I have sinned against you. I disobeyed you. And because I disobeyed you, I fell into adultery. I fell into idolatry. I fell into murdering people. I, I fell into gossip. I fell into backbiting. I fell into witchcraft and, and wish. I fell into all these things because you warned me, thou shall not do X, Y, Z. And because I disobeyed, these are the fruit of disobedience. So in the land, on the earth, there are altars of disobedience that need to be closed. Hence, in that time, when that altar, when that man of God spoke against that altar, there was trafficking of children. There was, and, and trafficking of children meaning for sex, uh, for sacrifice. There were, uh, uh, there were temples of Baal that had prostitution and prostitution. So in other words, you could buy a prostitute at the temple of Baal and have sex in that moment with that prostitute. And it would be what? It would be what? It would be worship unto, unto the, that demon, unto Baal, which is, which is Satan, which is the anti-God. What is it really? It is a, it is disobedience unto God that is the highest form of worship unto Satan. So, so people of God, the Lord is calling for Jos that, that Josiah, that spirit of Josiah to rise up. Who is Josiah? Let's turn. Let's go learn about who Josiah was. Josiah was an amazing man of God that was prophesied that he would come along and bring what? He would, he would destroy what they what the, all the idols and all the groves that they had done he would destroy those things because why it was his job to bring the people back well we got one greater than josiah his name is jesus and we've been given the holy spirit we've been filled with his his authority and power and it is our job as the as the bride of christ to not only show up the principalities and powers in the heaven but it is our job to what to go and shut these doors to shut these open doors of disobedience that has brought drugs and addiction and trafficking and murder and death and suicide and all these things into our cities, into our regions, into our nation, because somebody decided to disobey God. And it is the church's job to bring us back out of disobedience into repentance into obedience, into right standing with God, unless the Lord would smite the earth with, with, a, with a curse. Who is Josiah? The Bible speaks of Josiah, and you can read this in 2 Kings chapter 23, or chapter 22 and chapter 23. It speaks of King Josiah, and Josiah was one who was raised up who tore down all the groves, who took down all the altars, who broke, who split them, broke them, took the high places, took, tore them down. He went through Israel and brought Israel back unto God. He brought them out of the state of disobedience. He destroyed those altars of disobedience and he then erected what? Altars unto God. Because when you erect an altar unto God, it is an altar of obedience. 
An altar of obedience brings about blessing in the city, blessing in the field, blessing when you come and when you go. It brings about the favor of God that surrounds you like a fortress. It goes before you to make the crooked places straight. It brings treasures out of darkness, hidden reaches out of secret places. The obedience, the altar of obedience is Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 14. Because it starts out, if you obey me, and you obey my commandments and my statue, all the good things will happen. So Deuteronomy 28 is speaking of two altars, an altar of, of, of obedience under God and an altar of disobedience. Why? Because obedience is the ultimate worship unto the Lord. You could sing a house down. You could, you could give and do all the nice things you wanna do, but if you are in disobedience, your sacrifice, your acts mean nothing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the Lord is calling his children. As I sat with this, I was like, Lord, wherever I have been disobedient, where I've been disobedient, we shut them doors now where my bloodline has been disobedient, where they've served other gods, where they have given open doors to this, where they have done this. When you've said this, Lord, we are going to shut those doors now. Because no longer, because we see in scripture that what Solomon did messed the next generation up. And the next generation after that was messed up until God caused one to rise up to bring Israel back. We got to be those ones that say, no, it stops here. And only you in this moment can sit and say, God, where have I been? If you stand there and say, I've not been disobedient, I'm in right standing. No, 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 you haven't. This is where you need to search your heart. This is where you need to search your heart. And you really need to look and say, hey, I've been in disobedience. Can I give you this? I want to give you this, this last thing. And I, I feel like I'm, I want to, um, I'll lead you in prayer. Cause I, I believe this is important. And this is part of that, uh, first, uh, first Kings chapter 13, the prophet who the young prophet whom God sent to the land to speak against the altar, um, was told this, and I want to read this to you. It's in a verse It's in verse seven. It says, and the King said unto the man, this is the, the man of God. This is a young prophet that spoke against the altar. Come with me, come home with me and be refreshed and I will give you reward. The man of God says unto the king, if thou will give me half of your house, I will not go with thee, neither will I eat bread or drink water. For so I was charged by the word of the Lord. That is in key. Can you say word of the Lord? Yes, say word of the Lord with me. Word of the Lord. This is key that I, I will not go back to the, thy house, nor will I eat your bread or drink your water in this place. That was what God told him. That was the word of the Lord to the prophet. He goes on and tells him, he says, and so the, the Lord tells the prophet to go another way than the way he came to Bethel. So not only was he to not go back the way he came, he was to come into Bethel, speak to that altar, call, speak, uh, declare a word, the altar split, and then he was to leave. He was not to delay and eat anything in that land. 
He was not even to hang out whatsoever, and he was to go back home another way. Let's keep reading. Goes on, it says here, and it says, and now thou hast now now there dwelled no prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done in that day in Bethel, and the words which he had spoken unto the king. Interesting that God would allow this. Let's keep reading. And it goes on and says, and he says unto his sons, get my donkey ready. So they got his donkey ready and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God and found him. And he was under an oak tree. And he said, thou art man of God that came to Judah. And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. This is the man of God's response. He says, and he said, I may not return with thee nor go in the way with thee, neither eat bread or drink water with thee in this place. Verse 17, for it was said to me by the word of the Lord. Can you say word of the Lord again? Word of God is important. God's commandments, his statutes are important. They are not to be broken. When they are broken, you set up an altar of disobedience. And that's why you need to repent quickly. That's why the scripture says, if my people Solomon put this when he was making offerings unto God because he had become king and he makes this proclamation to God. He says, when we sin, we will, we will humble ourselves and pray. We will seek your face and we will turn from our wicked ways so that what? You can forgive our sin and heal the land. Solomon said we would repent quickly when we fall into sin. Because why? Because when you are in disobedience against God, you are recipients of curses, sickness, lack, you name it. The enemy has full access at you until that is close. Because why? Disobedience is the highest form of worship for the enemy. Let's keep reading. Goes on. So the, the man of God tells him he can't go back. This is what the old prophet of the city tells him. He says unto him, I am a prophet also, just like you. And the angel of the Lord spoke to me, the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with thee in thy house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto the man of God. And so they went back and he, he did eat and drink. So the man of God, because this man, and I need you to get this, because this man said, I am a prophet just like you. Oh, no. Shoot. Hold on. Oh, my God. This is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. just shut down oh there it is amen i'm so sorry people um, i've been having technical difficulty we're gonna keep going and so because you have done the thing that you have done because you have done this because you decided i'm gonna stay and eat and and do something that is against the lord can i tell you god's commandment is god's commandment and because this man said he was a prophet and the angel came to him and told him he was to bring this man back to his house. If the Paul said, if an angel or another man comes and preach another gospel, let them be accursed. That's what Paul said in the New Testament. 
God himself told the prophet he was not to. So he disobeys because this man says he is a prophet. I, and I want you not to judge this man, but I want you to see yourself. I want you to see you. When has the Lord spoken to you a certain thing and you decided by your, 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 uh, you can't discern that your flesh is speaking that it's okay to do this, or you have listened to somebody else tell you this is okay, co-signed on it. The word of the Lord is the word of the Lord. It is not for you to disobey because in this story, this man's disobedience to God, he died by correction. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes you can disobey and it could bring about an end. Moses, he disobeyed the Lord and it cost him the promised land. Do you think that was, Moses was a great guy, but because his disobedience and him hitting the rock didn't depict our Lord and Savior in a way that was appropriate. Everything that Moses did was a foreshadowing, a type and shadow of what who Jesus is. When he hit the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, he did not display God in a way and that caused him to miss. Are you hear what I'm saying? The Bible says here that that same prophet, the word of the Lord comes to me and said, O man of God that came from Judah, but thus saith the Lord, for as much as you disobeyed me, the mouth of the Lord, and didn't hear his commandments, the Bible says you were not supposed to come and eat and drink, and because of this, thy carcass shall not come to the sepulcher of thy fathers. In other words, you're going to die on the way. He was not going to be buried back with his fathers, back at home. He was going to be killed on the way. And the Bible says that, you can read the rest of it, the Bible says he was killed by a lion. A lion attacked him and tore him to pieces and then left his carcass there because of his disobedience. Because he deemed what a pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, you name it, titles mean nothing if God spoke to you and told you, you are not to do this, then you better not do it. Why? Because God don't speak out of both sides of his mouth. God don't say, don't do this. And all of a sudden now it's, oh, we can do this now. Be care. Be weary of a person that says that. Be weary of a person that says that. Because there's an error there. There's a spirit of error that's leading them astray. Because God is a God that speaks truth. And whatever he says, that's what he means. He doesn't say one thing and then come and say, oh yeah, now you can go eat with them. Now you can go hang out with them. Mm -mm. He doesn't break his word for nobody. So what am I saying that for that last part as we land this plane? Is that the prophetic needs to be cleaned up. There are a lot of people saying God said this, and then they're saying also God said that, or God truly spoke something, and they're allowing this person who carries a title that God gave him to mislead them. I think God allowed the, the old prophet to mislead 
the new, the younger prophet for our learning. The Old Testament is for us to see and learn. I believe it was allowed. I believe he allowed him to do it to see what he would do. Will you follow me? Will, if you truly believe, will you give way to what you want? Or will you get, or will you continue to follow me and trust me all the way through? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that could be for anything, dating, ministry, money, it doesn't matter. Where, whatever God's word is for you in any part of your life, it is his word until he has brought you to what he's bringing you into. And we need to trust him. And we need to not, we need to stop treating God like he's human, where he can talk, where he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. God does not have a forked tongue. He is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He is God all by himself. Amen. So, Father, we we come before you and we repent. And Lord, we know that as a husbandman, the husbandman is the first partaker of the fruit. And we know that what we're eating right now, Lord, we are the first partakers. And we say, Lord, we take what we have heard and we apply it to us and we say, God, if there is any place where there is an altar of disobedience established in us, I ask that you would expose it right now, that you would reveal the area that we are in disobedience. And I speak, Father, that in that, in that area that you would expose it and, and allow us to close those doors, to split that altar and slam shut that access that that enemy had to us. Father, I pray that if there's any altars of disobedience in their bloodline, Father, I ask that you would go into their bloodline right now and you would reveal to them not just this night, but even after, as, as the days go on, you would reveal to them. And then they would say, they would command that the altar be split and that the ashes would be poured out and they would command that door to be closed and the, and the, and the benefits of disobedience would no longer be there. And Father, I ask for the blood of the lamb to rest to, to be applied to these altars of disobedience that's been split, that you would nullify the effects, the effects of these things in our lives. You would apply the blood and you would nullify the power, the impact, the effect that it's had. You would shut it down. And Father, I speak right now in, in its place, like Josiah, we would erect altars of obedience unto our God. And we would offer up the obedience of Christ Jesus on that altar. That that altar would burn and you and we would and it would be a sweet smelling savor unto you. And Father, we as intercessors, we as as sons of God stand in intercede on behalf of our city, 
our neighborhood, our city, our state, our country. And we ask, Lord, where there has been these altars of disobedience and that has allowed the filth to turn the land against us. Father, we speak right now in the name of Jesus that you would split those altars. First, we repent and we renounce the acts that were done to bring about disobedience. We divorce those things from us. Now we ask for those altars to be split and for the blood of the lamb to cover that altar. Let the ashes be poured out and let the blood of the lamb nullify the power and the effect that that altar had in our city, our neighborhood, our city, our state, and even our nation. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the earth is yours. And you have given it to the children of men. And Father, I pray that you would cause us to be build altars in their places, altars of obedience unto you. Where we would offer unto you the obedience of Christ. Because Colossians 2 and 8 says this, that Christ Jesus was the ultimate picture of obedience. He was an altar of obedience wherever he went. And because he was that altar of obedience and, and, his, and his life was a sweet, sweet smell and savor of the Lord, miracles, blessings, multiplication, healings and deliverance would happen Heavens would be open. The land would experience healing because one who walked in obedience unto our God was one that had impact in the land. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and 7, it said, be, being made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. Father, I pray that we would live the lives that you have given us, that, Lord, we would be obedient unto whatever our end is. We would be obedient and we would finish strong. Because it isn't about our lives. It is about the lives that are affected by us. It is, it is the lives. It's the next generation afterwards that these altars of obedience be erected in the land, that the land would give birth to the blessings and the goodness of the Lord. And we are them that seek the Lord, that turn our hearts back to our Father. And we don't just turn our hearts, we turn our bloodline. We grab, we are the repairer of the breach. We are the restorers of generations. We are the ones that say the desolate places now come to life because these altars of disobedience are closed and destroyed. I 
I plead the blood over each and every one that's here. And I pray as they go from this space and they spend time and you reveal things. They just split that altar and pour out the ashes and plead the blood over it to nullify it. Father, we thank you. Because of what you did, your blood represents the finished work. And it represents also, as it's supplied, it represents everything that is an enemy of God being placed under your feet. And we speak that right now in Jesus' name. That, the, that what the Father promised would be manifested in our lives. That the enemy would be placed totally under our feet. That all the enemies of God would be placed under the feet of Christ Jesus, who is the head of the body. And we are the body. We are the bride. Father, I thank you today. And we magnify your name and we worship you today. And we love you. And I pray that you would give us the grace daily to walk out our obedience, our love for you, that's seen in our obedience in our very lives every day daily. And when we slip and fall, Father, we would get up quickly and repent and be in right standing with you. I pray this right now. And I pray that, Father, that you would just rest and be with these dear ones. Cover their homes. Cover them. Cover Ed, uh, Crystal and Chelsea and Edwin and Viviana and Carlos and, and, and Lisa and, uh, and Christina and, and Lupe and Arlene and and Cindy and Christopher and Sharon and even those that were on, cover them. And even those that are going to hear this on, on, on YouTube, that you would cause them to be in right standing with you and to walk in holy union with you in total obedience like Christ Jesus did. Because he was obedient unto the very end of what he was here for. He came to die. A lot of us are here for a lot of different things from God. And we want to be obedient to those things all the way through to the end. That we finish our course. Paul said that I was poured out like a drink offering. And because I was poured out like a drink offering, I've ran my race. I've finished my course. I've fought the good fight. I'm ready to go meet my Lord and Savior. Let that be our testimony. But until then, Father, we stand and we fight. And we take land. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.